a cry for like the existential threat of Nazism at the time or any time I suppose Welcome to the recommendation game. My name is Orla McNeilis. I'm joined by Ricardo Deacon. This is a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch them separately and then we Skype to discuss them. This week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It was indeed. It is To Be or Not To Be from 1942. <laughs> To Be or Not To Be is truly an outstanding motion picture, an exciting romantic comedy keyed to an ever-mounting tempo of suspense. To Be or Not To Be brings you the screen's beloved star, Carol Lombard, in the kind of role that won her the applause of millions. And that mirth-maker of the movies, that Casanova of the radio, your favorite comedian, Jack Benny, in something entirely new, something surprisingly different, and it's hilarious all the way. To Be or Not To Be is a swift-moving comedy melodrama enriched by the magic that sparkles in every Ernst Lubitsch production. It's the picture everyone will want to see. As nerving as it is hilarious, this screwball masterpiece from Ernst Lubitsch stars Jack Benny and in her final screen appearance, Carol Lombard, as husband and wife thespians in Nazi-occupied Warsaw, who become caught up in a dangerous byplot. To Be or Not To Be is a Hollywood film of the boldest black humour, which went into production right before the US entered World War II. Lubitz manages to brilliantly balance political satire, romance, slapstick and wartime suspense in a comic high-wire act that has never been equaled. Lubinsky, Kubinsky, Lominsky, Rosansky, and Poznansky. We're in Warsaw, the capital of Poland. It's August 1939. Europe is still at peace. At the moment, life in Warsaw is going on as normally as ever. But suddenly something seems to have happened. Are those Poles seeing a ghost? Why does this car suddenly stop? Everybody seems to be staring in one direction. People seem to be frightened, even terrified, some flabbergasted. Can it be true? It must be true, no doubt. The man with the little moustache? Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler in Warsaw when the two countries are still at peace and all by himself? He seems strangely unconcerned by all the excitement he's causing. Is he by any chance interested in Mr. Maslowski's delicatessen? That's impossible. He's a vegetarian. This week's film was picked by Ricardo. Ricardo, uh, why did you pick this film? Well, so first of all, there's a few things that we have to talk about uh, the background of when I picked it and what's happening right now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the first thing I have to say is just unrelated to world news is that I am uh, with COVID. So God knows what my energy levels will be by the end of this episode. So, so far, hanging <laughs> tough. <laughs> But yes, uh, he's he's doing very well. We've already had a lengthy discussion before this, so he's a trooper. Uh, And yeah, COVID finally came for the podcast. The other thing that I have to say is that we when we're recording this on Saturday, the 5th of March. So this episode should come out Uh, on the 11th, around the 11th, 12th, 13th of March. Yeah, so it's it's not Monday coming. It's the following Monday. Yeah, uh, and so middle uh, of March. who knows what the situation worldwide will be, but uh, obviously the conflict in Ukraine is raging in the in the background of recording this. And I also picked this movie uh, before uh, yes. the full scale invasion occurred, because obviously the invasion of Ukraine began in 2014. Um, so it is kind of, I don't know. Uh, for a second I thought of changing the pick I even we didn't record last week because for context like all imperialistic conflicts and stuff affect me in a way because I am a man of peace and I think that the people of uh, the world shouldn't be uh, suffering from fucking big country energy like being a small neighbor to a big neighbor shouldn't mean that you have to be subdued or bombed by them, like in Yemen and Palestine and mm. other places. But 
uh, it is more personal because my fiance is from uh, Ukraine and in fact I was meant to be in Ukraine tomorrow so it does hit a little bit harder uh, I must admit that I cried a lot but that doesn't mean like I, I do that anyways even if when there's not a war on um, but in saying that after watching this yesterday it reminds me like about the how ordinary people can also make a difference in the fight against fascism and i think mm-hmm. that even fascism wherever it fucking wears its ugly head should be not only reprimanded but also fought against in any way that you can and um but at the same time it's like it's interesting to watch things that are made uh, during the period that they're made you know like because much like Casablanca, this movie was made during the war, even before an invasion of Europe by the Allies or by the Russians would be inconceivable. Like this was released during Stalingrad was still ongoing. The Americans hadn't landed any troops in North Africa even. So mm. the idea of making a movie set in Europe and being so hopeful that the uh, like almost the war, so the war certain that the war would end and the, the the stories of the heroes would be able to be told let's say it is a uh, i think it's also like uh, i do like screwball comedies uh tremendously uh i think that they the ones that work because obviously screwball comedies are all about the turn of phrase and i think mm-hmm. the um uh, <clears throat> I think that the the way that this the, the script of this movie is one of the great scripts uh, in film history, and I think that it is criminal how few people talk about this movie still. Uh, it's not you know like if you compare this to like uh, this Girl Friday or whatever, like that film hasn't aged really well, but people still hold it up as, as something, you know. Very what? good comparison, actually. It was just once you said screwball comedy, it's always the one that pops into my head, and it is one of the biggest disappointments of my life when I watched that movie again and realized that I was like, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, like it's this is uh, like to be or not to be is at the same level Philadelphia story, I think. It has the same level, like really charismatic actors, it has the like cutting dialogue. If anything, this has a bigger, like a bigger cast, but every character has part to play and also feels like a, a character let's say it's their chance to ham and but like the the there's so many memorable moments like i think it's one of those movies that is just wall to wall like when i watched it the first time i didn't really know where it was going so i was like quietly surprised as it went along and i think that like uh, the the main actor's performance what's the character's name um Oh, Joseph Tura. Yeah, Joseph Tura. Tura. The amount of time, like, just a simple joke, like the amount of times that he's disgusted, that he's not recognized, uh, even though, like, if they do, because he's on this in disguise, like, of me, his death. But I love that that line whenever, like, a guy says that he had seen Joseph Tura in a Shakespeare play, and uh, the the nazi goes well he he did to shakespeare is what we're doing to poland right now and it's such a fucked line but it is very good um but i think that it's one of those movies that they do the brilliant job of writing themselves into corners and trying to have to figure out how to write themselves out of it without (laughs) having a cop-out uh, mm. that it, it just becomes this kind of like build it just keeps building and it's a movie with real momentum i feel that from the moment like the beginning has uh just enough uh of a base so you understand where these people were before the war and uh, what made them change let's say and then also the the dangers that they face that like it's one of these even though it's a comedy it's a comedy where people die and the danger to their lives is real let's say but it's also Mm -hmm. a movie that it's really about being able to be to rebel to be able to like put your own stamp in the world and i think that that's uh 
like unfortunately is a message that is still relevant uh considering what's happening in ukraine and in other places in the world um but yeah like uh i thought that noble one as a a a film has to like a a screwball comedy has to first of all fulfill the promise of the second word in that phrase which is comedy and i think this movie is very funny but it uses the comedy bit much like a christmas tree to hang these ornaments of themes and stuff and i think that it's uh, quite up the like it doesn't bang you over the head we've argued before in this podcast about uh making a movie for other people let's say not the people that are already on your side let's say so even though the movie and the tragedies of the war were largely focused on jewish people the movie doesn't like just focus on that but it makes a point of putting the jewish perspective there as well the way that they're all Mm. risking their life by hiding this jewish man as well that is part of their team their crew their family Mm. and it's a real tragedy i think that the main actress i can't remember her name she died that year on an airplane crash carol lombard yeah that's crazy it was her and her mother were on a plane um like going flying over nevada or something and the 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 crew just like weren't able to get over the mountains and everyone died yeah like they were selling war bonds i think at the time like to like yeah which i knew nothing about until i read her wikipedia page <laughs> and it's a real pity because she's a very charismatic performer and i would have liked to have seen her in the later years because i think that those golden a golden age uh, golden age of hollywood uh, actresses were did some of their best work after the golden age mm. like Catherine Hepburn and and such that like uh I don't know it's like linking that gravitas of that time and the the glamour but having the more of a realness of the, the changing of the period but there is something to be said about like the cinematography is really great and the sets are also very like mm. there's something about like street sets of that era shot in black and white at night you know, like it's very Hollywood, so but you're like, oh, yeah, there's something about like a set that you can drive like a fucking convoy of cars across. Like, you know, yeah, there's something sort of sturdy and comforting about it. I don't know. It's yeah. And it's it's interesting because it's a, like it's a movie about artifice that is also really artificial because it's obviously like very obviously set. But uh, I do think that the Criterion restoration of the movie is very good because it, didn't, it doesn't go over the top in trying to raise the, the jagged edges of the movie, let's say. like. Mm. Uh, but even the uses of miniatures and stuff, it's quite... like It has aged surprisingly well for a movie that is ostensibly a comedy. It's one of those movies that you have to kind of look the other way when it comes to like logic. Because <laughs> obviously, the uh, once you realize that everybody's talking English, and then, then if you go in, and it's like oh, they would obviously the Germans the would accents, obviously know that yeah, they, the accents they make have no sense. A, an accent. <laughs> but even like the spy guy that was uh, uh, like Zelensky, uh, who is not a yeah. Polish guy, would have been caught out by the the polls in London. Let's say. And also, it's kind of <laughs> hilarious, the Polish guys singing an English song, but they're Americans, the actors. It's very confusing. I love that kind of, like... You have to, you have to just kind of go along with it. It's, it feels a lot more acceptable, I think, in this film than it does in other movies. When you're like, just hire, just hire a Polish person or whatever, you know? And uh, just before uh, I pass the baton over to you, the... I do think that one of the best things about it as a comedy, as a script, is not only like its characterizations. I think every character is very well defined and perfect as they are. But uh, I think that uh, the way it sets up jokes to have a payoff like scenes later is just genius. That It's like there'll be a joke in one scene and you laugh at that joke and then... Like the concentration camp uh, uh, 
the name of the the guy is like oh you say they call me so concentration. they they call me concentration camp yeah and then the, Erlich, whatever, or something and, w- and then when he meets him in real life the guy acts exactly the way that he was pretending to act which was so ridiculous i think that it is just genius uh, but uh, without further ado what did you think of to be or not to be um just to to add on to your thing of the start about how um uh you know long-term listeners will will know this but it wasn't quite the same whenever we were doing a, uh, an episode every week and you know we were we were uh, constantly recording but doing the two-week thing and then also because of the time difference we only record in certain days so sometimes because of like delays or for whatever reason the time you know the the, <laughs> the gulf between you picking a movie and actually watching it as well can be quite wide because i didn't watch this until yesterday so <laughs> and i think you what were you watched it friday or what day is it yeah Saturday? i watched it yesterday as well so yeah uh which is kind of interesting because the movie's kind of fresh but um uh obviously uh the relevancy of um everything going on in the world uh but also just from from my perspective as well um watching this after having very very recently watched a lot of world war ii documentaries so all the like world war ii in color stuff and then starting to watch some of the um uh week by week uh indie indie Lydell and <laughs> some of those episodes as well uh this is this is all ricardo's influence uh <laughs> uh i have a lot more context for a lot of this stuff so obviously like there's not a whole lot of like you know military stuff going on but even just knowing in the timeline when things happened and knowing like the absolute hopelessness of when this movie was made of how like when you think of in my mind i kind of have like the graphic of the map of how much of europe nazis had control over and stuff and it's 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 very very scary to have all that in your head now when we're looking at similar maps but um uh yeah <laughs> uh oh yeah i sat down to watch this last night and uh i was quite tired i had a glass of wine and everything in front of me and uh i <laughs> i would affectionately describe this movie as uh quentin tarantino's chest of ideas uh because my god <laughs> from the opening scene i was like i had to google afterwards if if like he had actually mentioned this as one of his references because obviously he's very you know he doesn't lie about this stuff he has it very much on his uh uh he wears that stuff on his sleeve and in i think in inglorious bastards which i quite like it's it's like flawed and stuff but it's one of his better later movies i think um and he absolutely absolutely you know hand on heart talks about this movie in reference to uh to that film uh it was actually on the bfi they have a whole list of um uh <laughs> films that have influenced quentin tarantino and the first one is uh is this movie and the second one is rio bravo so he said of this film in this story cinema changes the world and i fucking love that idea <laughs> it's a very good quote i think um yeah just a little bit of a uh background on um uh carol lombard um yeah very very tragic um even just because i don't think this is the first time we've we've done a movie where the actress died quite soon afterwards um i can't remember what the other one was but um there's something very tragic about watching someone in a film like this where they have so much life and energy and comedy and she was only like 33 or something whenever she died and like you know it's just incredibly incredibly tragic um but she was actually married to uh clark gable so they were both um uh she was married to him whenever she died so they were they were married to other people, I think. And then when they finally got their divorces final or whatever, they, they eloped and got married. But I think they were only married for like 20 months or something um, whenever she died. And uh, by all accounts, he never really got over it. Um, but it's there's just so many like tragic things about their, their love story. But this is a great um, this is a great light. And I can imagine her saying it, having seen her in this movie. Um, so on the night that they finally kind of properly hung out, because obviously they were big actors, they would have known each other and stuff. They flirted, they danced, they shared a ride. When he asked her up to his hotel room, she reportedly said, who do you think you are? Clark Gable? That is pretty good. <laughs> Which is like, I mean, it's straight out of a screwball comedy, you know? And like, I just love what people at this time really fucking talk like that. You know, everybody was a walking script and it's so good. I don't even care if that's not true. I love it. Um... Sorry, I just thought that was really lovely, but um, uh, yeah, obviously I, I love this movie. Uh, <laughs> I, <can't. laughs> 
<laughs> I really love this movie. Fucking hell. Like, it's there's something there's something insane about the fact that they they made this film and at the time they made it, and it is, as you said, so hopeful, but also so aggressively satirical and like it does not pull punches with the with the jokes. And like I saw a lot of reviews on like Letterboxd and stuff, people are like, oh yeah, incompetent Nazis, it's done better in the dictator or whatever. And it's like yeah, like obviously there's a lot of very silly stuff in this film, but like the way it is layered with all the different elements of like uh, thriller and you know kind of spy movie and stuff but the movie starts off at like a mile a minute like holy crap the 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 first like you know however long it is until the war breaks out of that opening scene and the and the the play and everything um th- like and then it takes this turn into you know time passing as warsaw is being bombed and you know showing the destruction and everything and like it really handles its changes in tone very well and like it's never the tragedy of the situation is never very far away and like i think sometimes people kind of like forget that they're for like true satire there has there's something kind of very brave about it because there's like a risk to it it's not just that it's like you know it's not like colbert going on and like making fun of trump you you know what i mean where it's or like anything snl has done recently (laughs) you know it's not they're already taking very many risks you know like there's something of having the like the balls to make a movie like this and like really go with it and having a running concentration gag like concentration camp gag like well like on on that that note is one (laughs) of the the uh, um it's just uh before the war the term concentration camp meant something else so Mm. uh because like not to say that it wasn't a, a brutal practice because as like if you see pictures of the second world war con- british concentration camps killed uh, yeah. thousands and thousands of people and starved them to death but they weren't they necessarily death camps like the mm. the difference between an extermination camp like auschwitz and uh, birkenau and stuff like that was that in treblinka is that the in those camps the the objective was to kill the the person whenever they got there well in mm-hmm. the concentration camp is that people's death is a byproduct of overworking or bad conditions it's not like that they be really careful with it but it wasn't like it's like if they die they the died intent. rather than objectively trying to kill them and for a lot of even though obviously is again Unfortunately, whenever people don't believe the person that is going to be attacked, that Jewish people were saying this is coming and everybody else is mm-hmm. going like, no, no, no. It's the same as the Ukrainians going, eh, it's not going to stop in Crimea. Um, is that sometimes <laughs> listening to the person that is involved, like, makes sense. But in this case, it's, uh, um, I think that they wouldn't have made that joke after the war whenever the all the footage came out and like Nuremberg yeah, and stuff like that have, they wouldn't have had the full context at this point definitely not especially from like an american filmmaker perspective um yeah that's that's actually a good point um it feels a lot riskier now than i suppose it probably was at the time um yeah but that yeah, line if uh, 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 we do the concentrating and the poles do the camping it's it's funny because like a character like a a a person a figure like someone like hitler kind of takes on a kind of almost like mythical quality over so much time having passed that it's almost like that he wasn't it's not real he's like almost like this sort of like i don't know you you forget that like to people at the time he was just a man he was a tyrant but he was a real person you know and a real person with a very fragile ego as well and having seen in this movie how like he is so skewered for all his like you know idiosyncrasies and like it's it feels very like pointed and i don't know like it's it's not controversial to say that like hitler was bad but there's something about people describing what especially at this point because obviously as the war goes on and he's like on loads of drugs and he's losing his mind and stuff um <laughs> so many drugs jesus christ um have you seen the like, world war this, Two episode point, of uh, the nazis on crystal meth <laughs> Well, it's like the first day of the war and it's like, they just kept going for like six days in a row. And it's like, wow, that seems crazy. How did they do it? Meth. 
<laughs> well, it wasn't even crystal meth. It was just, they just had meth tablets. Yeah. They were just like barbiturates or whatever. But like, it was part of their rations. They were, every soldier just had all these pills. It's like, you're hungry? Take some pills. You're tired? Take some pills. You're, does your foot hurt? Take some pills. <laughs> he probably would have, he must have seemed so invincible to people whenever this movie was made, you know, which I find very interesting that like, you know, they, they, they skewer him so and obviously like it's not the only film that does this around that time but i just i find it fascinating because of like how far away that seems but also not to us as well um but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just it's so silly but it is a fucking joke a second it really is like and the bit with like Hitler, Hitler walking around the streets of Warsaw and uh he's like staring you know he's staring into this delicatessen it's like maybe he's interested in what they're selling that can't be right of course yes impossible he's a vegetarian it's just so stupid it's so funny like oh, yeah like when the, the jewish like, character a... goes to the, the main actor going like what you are i can't eat and it's like are you calling me a ham i had to I hate to leave my country in the hands of a ham um yeah it's it's so funny like you forget that it's you know that the film was kind of a sort of a love triangle really but then the movie keeps bringing it up every so often in like multiple scenes and like so, so often scenes are like layered on top of each other where it's like you know everything either the thing has been reversed like there's so much reversal of fortune in this film that is so entertaining where like the, the person in danger having to like talk themselves out of it sometimes they talk themselves out of it sometimes there's someone there helping them and like once you start to recognize that whenever like it's just so good i like <laughs> just yeah mike like i i like killed myself laughing watching this film and that so rarely happens like often sometimes it'll be like kind of a, like you know a funny movie and you kind of be like <laughs> i was dying and what's funny is that like i do this thing that uh john makes fun of all the time where i kind of go huh, huh, which is hearkening back to both my dad and my grandma mcneilis used to do this where we kind of be like huh, you know and every so often I'd be laughing out loud and then every so often I'd be like <laughs> just like channeling channeling my grandfather um, man I wish so dearly was still alive so I could talk to him about this film because I would imagine he would have loved this movie because he was um, he was a very big history buff very very big World War II buff like it's and obviously at the time I would not have appreciated this because that was just something boring that like, you know, my dad and my uncles and my granddad were into. But like in retrospect, <laughs> the man was an absolute fountain of knowledge. And I feel like I did not, you know, make the most of it while I could. Because um, he was just such a weird, interesting man. He had, he just, he would store all these crazy facts as well. He would have probably been able to tell you, you know, day by day what happened in World War II kind of thing. Um, but yeah, he also loved comedies. And like, you know, I, I would imagine he would have loved this film. Um, I didn't realize this is the same director as The Shop Around the Corner, uh, which I think you had considered picking, maybe? Yeah. Or someone was someone was talking about it. Yeah, I said that um, I should have picked it for Christmas. That, that that's the it. movie that um, we should watch next Christmas. Yes. Uh, I actually watched it at Christmas uh, <laughs> with my family uh, on like one of the first days, I think, when everybody was home uh just before christmas and we put it on and i think i think everybody was there i think kira's paul and and uh and angus uh claire's uh boyfriend angus were there as well um and we all sat around and watched it and everybody loved it like it was, it was so it was much real... better than you got mail <laughs> like i i couldn't get over how entire sections like not even just like lines entire sections of the script are cut out of it word for word it is hilarious um yeah i, I really, so that's really probably it. like your your highest rated young jimmy stewart movie because it used to be that for you the jimmy stewart got better the older he was the young jimmy stewart not so much but you'd liked him in philadelphia story so it's kind of i like well i liked him in philadelphia story because he's kind of playing against type um, which is was just interesting, and the more I learned about Jimmy Stewart, the more like obviously uh, he went to war, and you know he came back, and Hollywood had changed, and he had to like change, you know, what he was as a character actor, and you know, not character actor, but the characters that he played, and I think um, 
the Royal Ocean Film Society has a video. Oh yeah, like uh, has he ever played the villain? Yeah. Yeah, and we've we've obviously done um, uh, the thing where he's a lawyer, and that'll be of a murder, uh, where he plays a not a sinister character, but like not a standoff guy either, and he plays it with real relish. Um, uh, so yeah, eh, well, god damn, I'm having to reevaluate Jimmy Stewart, but uh, here we are. Um, what you were saying about somebody just being a man, the, the, the bit that hit me straight away while watching this movie with the current context is whenever the, the, they canceled the play, the Nazi play that they were going to put on, like the, the joke play, that, like making fun of Hitler. <laughs> Which was called Gestapo! The, exclamation point. They canceled it because the foreign office thought that it'd be... Uh, may be dangerous that Hitler would get pissed off by it and uh, invade mm-hmm. anyways. And because he invaded anyway, somebody went like, it didn't matter what we did or didn't do, he was going to do it anyways. And I think it's what, like, it's a line of, like, mm-hmm. appeasement, let's say, that is, like, the thinking that you can negotiate with somebody. Yeah, the fact that he had already recorded the uh, his little speech for his invasion, his rambling. Well, the orders went speech. out in January because, well, obviously, like you just can't, like even nowadays, you can't just go invade and then just like invasion happens. There's uh yeah, yeah. Like, it's funny how you kind of think that that like modern war- warfare is is different, but in a lot of ways, you know, even the U.S. can't just like drop a load of tanks in somewhere you know it doesn't happen like the nature of russia it's like it's always been the case like mobilization in russia just the sizes in russia there's like fucking somebody recorded the like tank movements in the in the the east of russia like in in train tracks going westwards and people are like trains people are like don't worry about that one if it's anything is to like protect like moscow probably or something because it'll take like fucking four weeks on the train to get from like vladivostok to ukraine through like signal trains and stuff like yeah it's the but it's that sense of like you know not only as a people that you're like just because poland much like ukraine is now it's both a, a, a side where your person it's a weird thing and i think the similar to jewish people is the it's a war that has been fought against everybody you're in the middle of it and part of the reason that the war is there is that the aggressor hates you specifically Mm. but also it is a geopolitical move against like bigger enemies let's say and then whenever uh, even as the history is being written at that time you become kind of unimportant to the actual conflict is that like even whenever people are like talking above your head almost exactly that there'll be yeah oh yeah the it's similar to uh again like uh, in context uh, um and so it's so succinctly uh by Indy Nidal in the uh, episode of um, they started doing a a, a series uh, about Ukraine because of what's going mm. on and the the first two episodes they mm. didn't uh, fully record it like uh, they just replayed videos from uh, their one about the Holodomor that they did in their series between two wars and the other they replayed the and a part of an episode that is about the Babi Yar massacre. That is the word they bombed this week, the Russians. But it's like the context of why whenever Ukraine became independent, they changed the memorial that was there. Because the memorial that was there was only before uh, Ukraine became independent, was saying that Soviet citizens had been murdered there because the Soviets were so concerned on making the war that was them against the Nazis. So having a memorial mm. that is like 35,000 people were murdered in this ravine. And the Ukrainians said no. And they put the, it was like a specific Jewish thing because it's they weren't killed because they were Soviet. Mm. 
other Soviets were killed because they were Soviets, but those ones weren't. It was because they were they had a different identity, and I think it's uh, that's important. And then it's also like the same as the country, like Ukraine and Poland. Poland suffered because not like the Polish Jews suffered even more because they were Polish Jews. Mm. But the Poles also suffered because Hitler saw them as the inferior countries, preferring species, a, a place to have fun, and so did Stalin, to be honest. But uh, which is also kind of hilarious. Pro-Russian people and Twitter going like, "But we rescued the, you from uh, the Nazis." It's like, um, that's not how we remember the Molotov-Ribbentrop <laughs> pact in the. Uh, <laughs> Breast fucking <laughs> dividing your uh, Poland into two. What's what's so bad about like, I know that like this this film obviously has the the outbreak of a war. Um, but people talk a lot about like oh we're living through history blah blah blah. It's like yeah, but there was something incredibly incredibly strange about um uh on the night that they invaded well, it was the morning, but uh it was night for us. Um, we were actually watching the uh the UN emergency council meeting when like literally john turned to me and he was like they've invaded and i was like what like we're watching it live and as it all becomes clear on their phones that it's happened and we get to see like the ukrainian ambassador just being like to the russian ambassador who fucking god he was such a like voldemort character uh like i will show you on my phone like it was so bananas to watch it and then obviously everyone had to re-give another speech afterwards then because this thing had fucking happened and like you know everyone just being like you know <laughs> it was like just watching that live and then like you know switching to abc or wherever we were watching the live news then of uh of like the air raid sirens going off and how it was like 5 a.m so like you could see like you know, street cleaners going round and shit. Like, you know why like they didn't you know. bomb Kiev in uh, at four a.m. Like they bombed all the other cities at four a.m. That was something. Was that something? Yeah, was that a Hitler thing? Yeah, because uh, whenever they uh, Barbarossa started, what was on the radio it was four a.m. Kiev is bombed. Uh, you don't want to have that. Uh... <laughs> As if that saves you from the comparison. Yeah, because one hour makes a fucking difference. But like uh, the, as <laughs> if that saves you, it doesn't matter how often you say that we're neo-Nazi, Vladimir. God Almighty. Uh... But I'll, uh, before we move to favorite things, whatever, I'll leave with this uh, famous joke that there's uh, like during communist era. Uh, there'll be a guy that would be like not a communist at all and uh, he'd be walking every day to a, a newsstand and he checks the buys the paper checks the the cover of the paper the main page the front page and throws the newspaper out and he was doing this for years and your man the newspaper uh, stand guy goes like really what the fuck are you doing like you buy the paper every day and then you look at the front page and just throw it out and the guy goes oh i'm just checking the obituaries and the guy goes oh but the obituaries are in the back of the paper and the guy goes trust me the obituary that i'm waiting for will be in the front page (laughs) swan like starts playing in the background (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> what was your favorite thing i think the script i think it's one of the like there's a reason that i think not surprisingly because i didn't know that that you mentioned about uh tarantino i knew that rio bravo mm-hmm. was one of the his influences that uh, like he openly says about it from years but even like once upon a time in hollywood is basically rio bravo without like even less of a plot if that's possible but i think i think that was the last movie i saw in the cinema before pandemic hit i think rio bravo no uh <laughs> once upon a time in hollywood unfortunately it was not rio bravo but 
there's a timeline right there where it was. But I, I think that like uh, this movie, like there, there's a reason why he would love this movie because I think it is one of the the best screenplays ever written. Um, I don't know how because I know that this movie was rushed into production and then Casablanca was also rushed into production. I, I think both of them for different reasons are two of the best screenplays ever done. And it's like the o- other Humphrey Bogart movie from the same crew that the Casablanca that is like based on the Hemingway novel. I can't remember what's the, the name of it. It's terrible. And it shows you that it's like sometimes it is like an alchemy. It's just that the right people in the right time etc and uh, i think that this movie has that that it feels like every actor is perfectly cast every line delivery is just perfect there's so many just funny like the the guy that over always like wherever he's improvising he just keeps going like he never stops so they have to stop him like from laughing (laughs) or making the jokes or whatever like the the guy that plays the general every time uh (laughs) you know like just the way that they are able to even like put the power dynamics of the group so quickly and keep those power dynamics throughout the movie that it's clear <laughs> the director that is never happy with anything you know like the the diva actor i love that line in the in the beginning that is like oh yeah i talked to the director to the producer and i said to him the uh, uh the next show your name should be uh first billing and she goes, oh, yeah, I don't care about that. That's what he said. So we decided to leave it as it is. Then. <laughs> it is very Aaron Sorkin, the kind of like, oh, people are the smartest or whatever. But I think that what well, Sorkin doesn't catch, uh, capture sometime, that for Sorkin, if the character is not the smartest guy in the room, he's not the, the coolest guy in the room. Well, this movie like mm-hmm. really appreciates idiotic well-meaning people but like that not that they're idiots is that they're not spies so like you know it's like it's the best spy movie that is like making fun of also how and importantly also i think that it does because for good or for bad this is a piece of propaganda as well and it does a good job of not only humanizing but destroying the mythos of nazism that is like they're mm-hmm. not these like uber human kind of like they're idiotic fucking pen pushers most of them it just happens that they are well armed or whatever but like they're not it does what the great dictator did to hitler to the actual gestapo and the the organization because like and they like even at the end whenever the fucking the guy lands from the air, airplane with the dressed as hitler and the farmers is like first has not this is just like chef's kiss the the ending scene <laughs> oh yeah whenever your mind stands up when they pick her up she's like i'm waiting for somebody he's just like oh i'm just i'm i'm here i'll defend your husband you know and then he walks in as hitler oh he's like why didn't you say it really, it really plays up the thing of like, of how terrified they were of him as well, and of that like, if you said the wrong thing to the wrong person, you would end up, you know, on the on the wrong side of Hitler, which I, I think is another level, like as you're saying about like not just Hitler, but of of the many levels of the people around him, and how so much of it was just like these yes men, and that like, you know, that they really they nail that so well with the like the joke that they keep saying with the cheese. Like, oh, it's so good. And what's your favorite thing? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's the script as well. Um, there's just so many elements to this film that you know, new things keep popping into my head as as we're talking. The fuck, like, you know, just small scenes that are that are so perfect. Like the <laughs> when they <laughs> when you realize that they've turned the the theater into a fake Gestapo, like it's. <laughs> It's just so perfect, and it's it's all these like rings of like little scenes within scenes. And I love obviously this is not a movie within a movie; it's it's theater within a movie. But it's I still love it like the the process of making it. It's it's one of the reasons why I like um, uh, 
uh, what do you call it? Like Inglorious Bastards as well. Like I, I love, I love the 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 movies and the the people behind the movies at the time and stuff. But it's also interesting from this perspective that the people who are in this film, like propaganda and propaganda movies, were so important for like, particularly for like you know American morale at this point. The the Americans haven't well, they've they've joined the war at this point, but they haven't or have they joined the war? And now, like whenever movie? they start, ma- it's one of these weird movies because uh, she died in. Uh, January 16, 1942, which would have been like a month after Pearl Harbor. Oh. So like there's no way that they would have shot this movie be before then. So it's probably yeah. would have been one of those movies that is more because of the land lease agreement with England. There were movies like during the Blitz, like Mrs. Miniver and stuff like that, that were there to kind of show the american public why they were doing like economical sacrifice to yeah for the allied clause rather than oh this is to go to war but i think this movie was released after she died because i think it's uh, listed as 1942 as the release yeah yeah it is yeah um it's interesting as well like um movie that we mention every so often the movie that i really like is uh their finest which is a movie about them making a propaganda film. And it's interesting because, like, I don't think I knew about, uh, you know, the, the boats going to Dunkirk before I saw that movie. And it's just interesting that, like, so much of my war context come fr- came from, like, <laughs> Titan Abbey and various other things. Uh, but I do, I, I really like that film because it 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 kind of shows that, you know, everyone involved in, in these movies would have done literally anything to get the thing made because they knew how important they were, which is kind of interesting from from the perspective of, like, you can really feel the, like, intent and the of this film that, you know, that there's, it hums, you know what I mean, with, with the kind of, like, the energy of everyone behind it, which is uh, fascinating because, like... <laughs> At this time, people were just cranking out movies. It is crazy to like to think of the. Obviously, people had contracts with studios and stuff, and you you know this was just how they were made. They were it was the the business of film that you were constantly churning out these pictures. But um, it's still nuts from a modern perspective when you look at like how many movies that uh <laughs> that people were able to make in one year. Obviously, they weren't all great. They weren't all this. Very few movies are this. But uh, what was your uh, least favorite thing? Well, I think it's obvious that it's that this movie is still fucking relevant. Like uh, it should have been like left yeah. to, to things like this should have been, you know, like history book. You know, when they say like never again or whatever, like um, mm. and never again, but maybe in like <laughs> eighty or ninety and years. And I know that at the moment, the the uh, what's um, happen in ukraine it's not technically what you would call like a genocide but at the same time if you see the russian propaganda against ukrainian people is very very similar to uh the treatment of jews uh by the nazis like the idea of like but it's the thing it's like you use the war the other word the nazis used communism the russians <laughs> can't use communism because <laughs> obvious reasons well <laughs> well also the ex-kgb the ex-kgb agent uh who is the president of russia who knows what's gonna happen what was your least favorite thing oh same thing definitely um i think also as well it's the infuriating thing of um like not even that these kinds of movies are are relevant but that there are people out there who will say that they're not (laughs) you know but like that's not what's happening or you know unlike obviously tucker carlson's a pretty easy mark in these kinds of things but like well like 70 i think it was a (laughs) poll yesterday that 77 percent of americans want america to get involved it was like when the like holy crap yeah that's pretty uh that's that's, pretty that's nuts. not near 50 percent, which is usually the, like if a fucking democrat and uh, not to say that is the correct thing to do but uh like uh for anybody like you know politically for them is the thing that people say it's like the people are saying it's like it's going to be very very interesting to see what organizations start having funding difficulties in six months from the what do you mean because uh a lot of uh uh 
places have been fund- completely funded by the fucking Kremlin. <laughs> Actually, yeah, a lot of those like super PACs and, you know, all those like various foundations and stuff that always have really weird, sinister names like the Family Center or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> you could literally draw a very straight line from like, you know, members of the Supreme Court state to like those fucking Russians. <laughs> It's not even, unlike, you know, it's like that line in uh, All the President's Men where Deep Throat's like, the truth is, these are not very bright guys. <laughs> They're not covering their tracks. <laughs> well, uh, that was uh, the state of the world. That was our state of the nation, folks. Uh, you got you got it all. Yeah, and somehow <laughs> this podcast does it all. My, my, Military strategy. My body defenses, I think, are crumbling more than the Ukrainian ones. So I think the... <laughs> covid yeah, has won this round ricardo. <laughs> we gotta let ricardo go to bed uh um yeah so uh if they want to go back and uh uh i actually have created a podcast called fun with fascism we're uh on our soundcloud so if you want to go back and listen to some of our fun with fascism episodes uh you can uh <laughs> there are a number what's funny is having to go through the the, the list and try and decide whether or not something's full-on fascism or just fascism adjacent um <laughs> just lump them in it's probably fascism if, it, if you have to ask it usually is exactly there's <laughs> a lot of the time i just threw them in there so i must i must go through it though actually and uh do a big proper uh because we, we've done a few recently that are obviously very interesting um uh, yeah so if they want to go find that uh where can they find us Ricardo? you can find us on the recommendation game on facebook at the rec game on twitter on the dublin digital uh, dublin digital radio soundcloud and every second monday on dublin digital radio 11 to 12 uh, next week uh, pick is yours uh, what are you picking uh i am picking uh petite maman which is uh our second celine schiama movie uh which might be possibly our shortest movie ever because it's only like 80 something minutes it's, it's a short little one but uh oh is that gonna devastate you uh yeah so <laughs> until then uh i was orla mcnino's and i was kind of ricardo deacon <laughs> thanks for listening see you next week <laughs>